Hey, this is Seth Scruggs, co-host of Rewatch. We're very excited to announce that we are going to be premiering a short film called Five Minutes. It was directed by me, and it was produced and written by Zachary Vaughn. We shot it back in December, and we're getting ready to release it on August 28th at 6 p.m. It will be premiering on YouTube as a live premiere. Uh, you can find all the information on Instagram at MarkSpotsTheX Productions. Following the premiere of the film, we are going to be hosting a live Q&A at 6.15 uh, where we're going to talk about the film and you can come out and ask us questions and we'll be excited to answer them. August 28th at 6pm with a Q&A following at 6.15, the premiere of 5 Minutes, a short film by Seth Scruggs and Zachary Vaughn. Hello and welcome to Rewatch. My name is Seth Scruggs. I'm joined by my co-host Zachary Vaughn. Hello. And this is the show about movies we love and movies we haven't seen yet. Uh, each week, one of us picks a movie that one of us has seen and the other hasn't, and then we talk about it. Zach, we're in the same place again. Mm-hmm. Um, a different place, yeah. but still the same place. Mm-hmm. Um, doing all sorts of different things this week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I'll jump into the movie that we watched this week. Did you? Is that? Does that sound good to you? Yeah, we can. Okay. We can do it. Or I mean, do you want to talk about th- anything else? Like um, I don't know. Do you like, how's your life? It's good. Good. It's different. I have a lot more free time now. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. So the, the movie we watched this week uh, was called Steve Jobs. It was written by a good friend of the show, Aaron Sorkin. And it was directed by Danny Boyle. It stars Michael Fassbender as well as Kate Winslet and Seth Rogen. And it is about Steve Jobs, who, if you don't know, was the CEO and founder of Apple for a long time. Um, And the film kind of takes place at three different places in his life. Uh, right before three different product launches uh, that that he launched. Zach, you hadn't seen this before. Mm-hmm. So where do you want to where do you want to start? Like what really stuck out to you this time? Um, I think I think I will always be impressed with how Aaron Sorkin can make a boring story really interesting. Because <laughs> um, like my, my roommate walked by while I was watching it. And then <laughs> afterwards he said, how was it? And I told him, and he said, okay, it looked really, really boring. (laughs) And I said, it probably would have been if anybody other than Aaron Sorkin wrote it. Yeah. Um, Because he, he, yeah. I don't think that the movie would have been structured in the same way. Had, Had anyone else taken the biography of Steve Jobs and made it into a movie... I don't think that it would have been the same. So the way that Sorkin structured the film, for those of you who haven't seen it, if you haven't seen it, then I don't know why you're listening to this because it it has to be the most boring podcast title to click on. Yeah. (laughs) If you're like searching for movie podcasts, a a movie conversation podcast about Steve Jobs, the 2015 Danny Boyle film is probably not the first thing you jump to. But if you haven't seen it, 
it is essentially it's a film about Steve Jobs at three different points and it's structured in essentially three acts where um, you have one that takes place in 1984 right after the big um, commercial um, if you haven't seen it the 1984 Mac commercial which was a huge deal right before the launch of the original Mac then you have right before next computers which was in 1988 after Jobs had been ousted from Apple and was kind of in exile for a little bit. And then in 1998, right before the launch of the iMac, which is the computer that we all know and love, the big blue jelly blob looking thing. Uh, Lee, how does Lisa describe it? Um, it's the Jetsons, the Jetsons Easy, Bake. Easy Bake Oven. Yeah, that's what it looks like. But right before the launch of that, which really turned around his career and apple as a whole so that's how the movie is structured um yeah i think i think in lesser hands um it would have been a very different more traditional biopic Mm -hmm. oscar Beatty movie yeah because this movie didn't feel like that to me I don't know. No, yeah, it it felt. I don't know how it felt. I haven't I haven't figured out how exactly I feel about it. It was mm-hmm. definitely interesting in that, like, it's in like, yeah, because like it 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 doesn't even just go through like all of the eras of his life, like from birth to death mm-hmm. or whatever, but it it. It takes three events and tells real time those events. Mm-hmm. And I, it's just really cool. I think the most powerful thing, I think one of the things that is central to the story that makes it work is the fact that essentially we're looking at it through his daughter's eyes. Mm-hmm. So Steve Jobs had a daughter and whom he denied for many, many years named Lisa, though he named a computer after and all this other stuff. He denied that he had a daughter for many years. And so we're kind of watching this story unfold through her eyes and through the, through as she grows up seeing her father in these different things and not exclusively, it's not exclusively her perspective, but for the most part, it's, um, that that's the core of it is mm-hmm. her and i i think that's part of what makes it work is that there's a heart there and a connection there that otherwise you don't really get because steve jobs was a kind of idiosyncratic distant guy mm-hmm. um and i think another thing that works so this movie is very dialogue heavy because aaron sorkin wrote it but i don't think it would have worked as a play which is like a which I think could be a very easy criticism of this film. I think it could have worked as a play, but I think that this movie, that they do a lot of things that separate it from that style mm-hmm. because it, it, it's three contained things, stories yeah. that all take place generally in one room or if not could be rewritten to mm-hmm. be in one room. Right. But they do a couple of things 
that I think elevate it past that. The first is that there are lots of cutaways in the middle of these conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, are, have you seen anything else that Danny Boyle has made? No. I've heard of them. Yeah. I've heard of a lot of them, but I haven't Typically, seen Typically, he does more fast-paced things. Okay. Um, yesterday, the, the Beatles movie. Okay. It's pretty fast-paced, not as dialogue-heavy as this is. Um, and you may have seen another one of his films, but very fast-paced, typically. So, and lots of stylized elements, and that makes a couple of appearances here, um, for better and for worse. But one of the things he does is he will cut in, in this movie in particular, he will cut in shots of the audience or shots of Steve Jobs somewhere else in the middle of it. And it, I think it works on driving home the points that are being talked about without just showing or without telling everything that is happening Mm -hmm. because Sorkin's probably one criticism of Sorkin's work would be that he tells sometimes more than he shows. Yeah. Even though he does show a lot. Right. Should we explain that? Show don't tell is basically the concept that instead of having somebody in the movie show, whatever, say something that happened you instead show it in like a flashback or showing it earlier so that it's not like because people are iffy on flashbacks but like you can showing it at some point whether when it's brought up or before it's brought up instead of describing what happened because when you describe it it's not very compelling or interesting at least not nearly as much as if you show it most of the time and typically it insults the intelligence of the audience Mm -hmm. a little bit um i an example that i go to is watson have you seen sherlock the tv show a few episodes yeah so in the first episode watson walks around with a limp and then he isn't walking around with a limp and that's a very important visual cue for a change that's happening in his character but we don't really know why he's walking around with a limp it, from the very beginning. We, we pick it up and pick it up and pick it up. And then it's finally said. But the way that it's said is not, well, I was in the war and I, I got injured and so I have a limp. It's, he, it's Sherlock doing what the audience is kind of expected to do. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that you, you can trust your audience to understand visual cues, mm-hmm. especially if they're literate in film in general yeah all that to say aaron sorkin likes dialogue which means that it's a lot of people telling and talking and he can tend to not slow down to allow things to be shown Mm -hmm. Um, but i think that this movie does that and it illustrates these points either ironically or not um you know someone might be saying something else and then cut away to something different Mm mm-hmm Going on the note of flashbacks, I think that's another thing that this is, this does really well that fits in into the film medium is that there are multiple times where you have characters having conversations that mirror or reference past conversations mm-hmm. and they cross cut between the two of them. Uh, there's a scene really early on where uh, Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs are talking and then it cross cuts between a conversation of them designing the Apple II 
and then it's cut to this conversation talking about why Steve Jobs thinks that the Mac is better than the Apple II. And it cross-cuts between these two things. Happens later with uh, John Skelly and Steve Jobs um, talking about how Jobs was kicked out of the company. And then later about how uh, Skelly was recruited um, into the company. And that has a really cool reveal about some other things. So I think that's I think that's awesome. I think that really steps it up. I mean, mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? I think that was really cool because they the conversation was written in a way that like it seemed like it was actually one conversation, um, and it was just it it was really smoothly done. Um, to where it worked really really well it wasn't really jarring which mm-hmm. was nice mm-hmm. um which i think is another criticism of flashbacks is that they can be jarring um and they can be telly rather than showy right um but i think this balanced it really well i think that it fit the tone very well mm-hmm. um i don't know if you noticed this this is something that i thought was really really cool about this film so the film is shot in three acts uh, which typically we talk about a three-act structure and we've talked about that on the show before. This film doesn't really have that um, at all. It's three self-contained stories that show the development of his interaction with his daughter, of Steve Jobs' interaction with his daughter. Um, I think that you could argue maybe there's a traditional structure within that. I don't really see it, and I think that's part of what stands out. But part of that is that there are, the film was shot on three different formats. And if you've listened to the show before, we're huge nerds. So we're going to talk about the formats that this film was shot on, because why not? <laughs> yeah. So before we get into that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I agree with you that it's not traditional three-act structure. Mm-hmm. I think the way I would describe it is three one acts yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so it, it is three acts but each act is not setting is not specifically setting up for the next act mm-hmm. it is a self-contained like you said it's a self-contained act and then the next one is also a one act about steve jobs and then the third one too they they are they all kind of function as self-contained short stories Mm -hmm. um which i think are really really cool Mm -hmm. i think it's a it's an interesting way to look at it Mm -hmm. definitely and it did it did self-contained stories about the same person at three different periods in their life much better than boyhood did but this isn't about trashing boyhood this is about steve jobs but steve jobs didn't do it over a period of like 12 years i know i watched it because of that gimmick and i appreciate the gimmick but it could have been done better. So anyway, this film is shot in three as three different, almost standalone, like linked short films. And in that, they were shot in three different formats. So the first section is shot on 16 millimeter film. The second act is shot on 35 millimeter film. And the third and final act is shot digitally. I loved this a lot as a camera nerd as a huge nerd generally 
Um, I, th- I think this is a great touch. What are what are your thoughts and feelings on that? Um, I think it's really cool that they did it. I don't want to be. I'm glad I wasn't in charge of the logistics of that. Um, and also, like, I couldn't tell a difference between any of them. Um, I'm, I'm sure if I went back and saw it, like, I didn't know it until after I saw it mm. and I could probably, I don't know, especially watching it on Netflix where it's all, all digitized anyway. Like, I don't know if there's a way to see it. Like, I don't know if there's a way to actually, I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell it was done that way. Seeing it a second time and knowing that element of the film, I, I could tell I think it's most noticeable toward the end um, when in the third act that was shot digitally, there are flashbacks to things that happened earlier in the film and it, it cuts in 16 millimeter footage with the digital footage. Um, and I think that was pretty evident. Okay. Um, I think there, there are certain things that if you look for them, you can see them things that are only, seen on those formats so the 16 millimeter especially is much grainier um there are more imperfections in the footage because it's shot on film and it's shot on a lower stock of film um the colors look a little bit different though they did very they obviously i would assume went back and color graded everything to be consistent Mm -hmm. the colors do look very similar And there's certain things, especially in the 16 and 35 millimeter sections, where you can, things go out of focus easier, um, and those mistakes are, like, left in the film, versus a digital format where you can just do retakes Mm -hmm. till Kingdom Come. With film, it's expensive, and there's a limited quantity of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that the mistakes are more evident in those um and that that was evident to me okay seeing it a second time that said i think that it works subtly and i think that it works best subtly because you're getting subconsciously you're seeing the imperfections subconsciously you're seeing those glitches and things and you're seeing that maybe it's not quite as clear maybe it's grainier and then by the time you get to that very, very polished final act with, which also is just generally like, it's more reflective, it's brighter, it's wider. Mm-hmm. It's represents a lot of the aesthetic changes that Apple went through as well. You, you get a lot more of that and it's crisper and cleaner and maybe you don't pick up on it consciously, but I do think that it's there mm-hmm. subconsciously. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's an effective way. I think that it's, um, have you seen the aviator? So the aviator is Martin Scorsese film and they did something very similar in that where it takes place at different points in Howard Hughes's career and the color process that they used for the film was done to emulate the, uh, the, what color film would have looked like at that point in Howard Hughes's life two-strip process, three-strip process, and so on. 
Okay, I want to know what you thought of the performances in this film. I thought they were great. Um, I I was a little confused with uh, middle second act Lisa. Um, it seemed a little awkward when they were on the like the catwalk, um, but also like I feel like she's generally not super sure how comfortable she is with him in that scene so that also makes sense especially because she's like sharing a part of herself that she doesn't know how much he'll accept or acknowledge i guess um as a whole i think they're really great i thought it was awesome seeing seth rogan and not necessarily like an unfunny role but like not a comedic role um He, he really stood out to me Especially this time, seeing him, like, there was real depth to his character, which is not something, like, I'm not saying that I think Seth Rogen is a bad actor, like, I think he does what he does, but it is very rare that you really see him take on a role that has real emotional depth that you can really sink your teeth into and that he can really sink his teeth into. And Waz, who has this very complicated friendship with Steve Jobs... And has been very open about his complicated relationship with Steve Jobs. Was really impressive to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Um, Michael Fassbender. I, I was so when both of when this movie and Jobs came out. Jobs came out two years earlier. Um, when I saw stuff for this movie, I was like, ugh, he doesn't look as much like Steve Jobs as Ashton Kutcher does. And I still believe that, but they did a really, he did a really great job at playing Steve Jobs, as far as I could tell. Like, I don't know. I never knew Steve Jobs personally, but from what you were in bros. Yeah. Uh, from what I know, he did a really great job. Um, and he had a really great personality not a likable personality, but a very well-developed personality that came across really well. To get a little meta, in Aaron Sorkin's Masterclass, which I think we just need to get printed on a t-shirt, in Aaron Sorkin's Masterclass, in in the Masterclass, he talks about uh, getting to the truth that actually matters. Um, And what that means is The example he uses is a scene in The Social Network where Mark Mark Zuckerberg? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know why I questioned that. Zuckerberg wants to, is drinking to get drunk. Those are his own words. So Aaron Sorkin wrote in that he was making some really hard liquor drink. I don't remember what it was. And there's a whole, there was a whole sequence in the script where he makes this drink. And then they found out later on that Mark Zuckerberg that night that he wrote the initial code for Facebook was drinking beer. So there was a discussion of, is he going to drink this alcoholic drink, this really hard liquor drink, or is he going to drink beer? And Aaron Sorkin's response, well, what is the truth that matters? Is the truth that matters that he's drinking to get drunk or that he was drinking beer trying to get drunk? I realize it's a lot about alcohol 
the point being it didn't matter that in real life he was drinking beer and in the script he was drinking liquor like a hard liquor the difference was that the the point was that one of those visually communicated that he was drinking to get drunk mm-hmm. i say all of that to say michael fassbender doesn't necessarily look like steve jobs right they they did make him look substantially more like steve jobs than he actually does but the point was not that he could look like steve jobs the point was that he could take on the persona of steve jobs and act like steve jobs well which is probably the reason that this movie did decently better than jobs the ashton kutcher movie yes ashton kutcher looks more like steve jobs than michael fassbender does but michael fassbender brought more depth to the character than ashton kutcher did he also brought more muscle to the character indeed he did that's one thing i noticed and i was like i don't think i don't think steve jobs is that jacked i don't know I know there's there's a stereotype among software and computer developers and engineers that they're probably not. He could be. He was pretty healthy. He was. He was a very healthy dude. I know, but there's healthy, and then there's Michael Fassbender <laughs> jacked. Like, I don't... I'm just saying, I don't know that you would have been able to see Steve Jobs' muscles through his shirt as much as you could see Michael Fassbender's. Fair. That's fair. especially his back muscles sorry that's getting (laughs) weird (laughs) i want to talk about jeff daniels performance because jeff daniels performing aaron sorkin dialogue is like just top tier top tier there are a few actors that are in aaron sorkin's orbit that have done several things with him that just know how to deliver his lines deliver his work in a way that works um and obviously Aaron Sorkin's not the director of the film and I want to say something to that later but I think that Jeff Daniels Bradley Whitford is this way from he played Josh Lyman on the West Wing both of them have this way of delivering Sorkin's dialogue in just the way it's meant to be done. Um, Jeff Daniels on the newsroom as well. It just both both of those things. He just he kills it. Your thoughts on Jeff Daniels' performance in this film? I I mean, it was great. I didn't specifically notice anything other mm-hmm. than it was great, like everybody else's. I really liked. Um, I really liked Kate Winslet's performance. Um, I thought she was great. And whoever, uh, Andy, guy Andy. Uh, it was played by Michael Stuhlbarg. Okay. I really liked his performance too. I hope I said that right. I have no idea how to say that now that I think about it. Michael Stuhlbarg, I think is how you say that. Yeah. I really liked his performance, um. And um, I really liked, as a whole, Kate Winslet's character. Um, Is a good character. She was a really good moral compass to a guy who didn't 
Ethical compass. <laughs> he had yes. morals. He didn't really have ethics. Yeah. Yeah. He just kind of did what he wanted. Yeah. Which, I guess, to be fair, if you founded Apple, cool. Do, do, do whatever, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about anything that you didn't like? I mean, I didn't like Steve Jobs, the character. <laughs> But, like, it's hard to like a jerk. That's true. So, like, it's not, it's not, it's not a, like, oh, I thought it was done poorly. It was just a, no. He's a bad person. And I feel like he's a bad person. Like. <laughs> I, I can't really argue with that. Yeah. Um, anything with the filmmaking that you didn't necessarily care for him. Um, there were some parts that I felt were out of place. Um, some, I, I think they're visual effects. If they're, if they're special effects, that would be really cool. Um, when he's reading the, uh, is it scripture? It's a Bob Dylan lyrics. Okay. Yeah. When he's reading the Bob Dylan lyrics. Which for some people, some people, those are the same thing. Um, when he's reading the Bob Dylan lyrics and the text was coming on the screen i just it felt random and unnecessary um and then uh when he's talking about the wars maybe no when he, when they're in the hallway yeah yeah, yeah. and, and toward the, toward the uh end of the second act yeah Steve Jobs is making this plot to get back into Apple. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And on the back, there's this something like it's a like bunch a of projection. Yeah. Um, and if it, it's if either like if they were special effects, that's awesome. Either way, still feels out of place. But it's it's cool. It would have been cool if they were special effects. I don't know if they were special or visual though. Yeah. So that is the stylistic choices of Danny Boyle. That is Danny Boyle's style. Is he will bring in um, different visual or special effects and project things and superimpose things. And I don't love it. I really like... I have this kind of love-hate relationship with Danny Boyle where he will pick a story that I really think is cool and then do things with it that I really don't like, uh, such as this one. Um, Another thing that he does are these extreme Dutch angles. Like, to the point that... So a Dutch angle is any time that the camera's tilted. Normally it means that something is off-kilter in the world. And there are a few times in this film that it makes sense... But then there are other times that, like, the camera is tilted to the point of almost being completely, like, a 180 tilt so that everything is upside down. I, I don't I don't love that. And But at the same time, he's taking different unique visual choices that I think separate this film from being a filmed play, mm-hmm. which it very easily could have been. So I have a love-hate relationship with that. Yeah. I think for me whenever there's stuff like that because like I can only think of those two instances it works 
in something like Scott Pilgrim versus the world where it's there from the beginning. It's based off of a graphic novel and it's consistent throughout the whole thing. It's weird when it's twice, not a, no, it, it's weird when it's twice and it hasn't been established early on. That's the thing for me is it just feels out of place where it is and how few times it is. The, it doesn't feel like the right element for this film. Mm-hmm. It It's a cool element. I mean, it was what you said. Like it, it looks cool and it could work. But this film is not a graphics driven exciting action thriller or comedy thriller comedy action thing it's a drama about this dude's life Mm -hmm. and i yeah it just i didn't i didn't feel like that worked in its favor um I think interesting visuals are different than risk-taking, ultra-dramatic visuals. Right. And he towed the line pretty much the entire way through this film. One thing that I thought was really cool, though, um, I can't remember specifically if it's in the third act. It probably is. Um, In Definitely in the first two, before the presentation, um, or at some point in it... um, you see the projector screen from behind the projector screen. So everything's backwards in it. And it's, it looks like you're looking at it straight on, but the stuff is backwards. And then it took me a while to realize, oh, hey, this isn't backwards because it's backwards. It's backwards because we're on the other side. And that's just, he never presents. It's always him getting ready to present. Sorkin and by extension Danny Boyle I guess in this case is so much more interested in the why than the what and this movie I think proves that and the the why is almost always more interesting than the what and the lead up and the build up is more exciting well and if you if you have the presentation in it then you have to put the technicalities of a presentation in the film and like audience reactions. And it's a lot of extra that doesn't necessarily need to be there. It could need to be there depending on your story, but it doesn't necessarily need to be there. And for this, it definitely shouldn't have been there. So it wasn't. Yep. I agree. Yeah. I will say there, there were, some of the visuals were really, really good. Um, I think that one of the things, when you have someone like an auteur writer, which is a very unique thing that probably is a category of one, which is Aaron Sorkin, you're getting someone who could direct from the script. And there are moments in this film where it feels like Sorkin is directing from the script. Meaning that they're taking the script and they're going, well, this is what Aaron wrote and this is what Aaron said. And he's going to, we're just going to do a walk and talk and we're just going to do that. 
which is fine. Um, you can do that. But where this movie does its best is when it's not taking it too far into a genre and a style that it doesn't belong in. But not saying, well, we're just going to do whatever Aaron wrote. Not, not to say that you shouldn't do what the screenwriter writes. You should do that. But where there's a signed meaning from the director and from the actors and doing something that isn't just saying what was on the page an interesting visual the the thing that you're saying about the the screens like that's a that's an excellent visual mm -hmm. to signify preparing to go out and doing this presentation mm -hmm. and it the film needed that and needed that push to separate it from being something exactly like the social network or an episode of the west wing which it very easily could have been and at moments feels like and i think that's where this film is at its best is where it's not trying to imitate another work of sorkin's but is really trying to be its own piece so with all of that said would what do you want to rate this film and would you watch it again i gave it a four because it's really good um it's this the story is not very complex but it's really good um there's just not a whole lot to it um so there's that um i enjoyed the movie i thought the movie was good I don't see myself watching it again. Um, unless, like, unless I have a really good reason, but, like, it would have to be a specific reason. Just because, like, I don't know. I don't, I'm not, I, I didn't really feel this movie like I have other yeah. movies. Like, I have most other Aaron Sorkin things also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And you? Yeah. I give it a three and a half, which is actually down half a star from my initial review um yeah they were just i enjoyed it i think it's a good film i think it's got really strong performances those few visual quirks are just things that i don't love that take me out of the film um one thing which we didn't talk about was that eventually kate winslet kate winslet's character announces to steve jobs that she loves him and it kind of comes up out of nowhere and then it just kind of goes nowhere. I think... I don't think... It's... I love you in the conventional sense. Mm -hmm. Like, in the in the Hollywood conventional sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I saw it more as, like... If I didn't love you, I would not have been here for you. Yeah. And taken care of you. Because she doesn't work for him. She takes care of him. <laughs> um, so in that way, I didn't see it as random or mm -hmm. just like, well, that's... Why, why, did, why did she say that then? I saw it more as a, hey, look, if I didn't... Like, I love you. And then the subtext being, if I didn't love you, then I would be another person who would have abandoned you. Who you would have pushed away. That makes sense. I hadn't thought about it that way. Um, but just when I watched it this time, it, it felt like it came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And it didn't, and it felt like it went nowhere. And it was like, uh, okay. Cool. <laughs> um, 
to because of those things, you know, I I took it down a half star. I think I could see myself watching this again. I don't know under what circumstances that would take place. I wouldn't mind watching it again. I enjoyed it this time. I enjoyed it the first time. It's a it's just a nice it's a nicely done thing that I enjoyed and would go back to, but I don't I don't know when when that would happen for me. So Do you want to recommend something for us, Zach? My recommendation is another Sorkin movie. This one was written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. Um, Molly's Game. It's about a former Olympic skier who stops skiing and starts running really, 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 really high-stakes poker games. Um, It was really fun and really interesting. It's a side of a lot of things that I just hadn't seen before. Um, So, Molly's Game. Cool. My recommendation for this week is Palm Springs. It's on Hulu. It stars Andy Samberg and Kristen Malati. Um, And it's just, it's, and J.K. Simmons. Can't forget J.K. Simmons. Um, I don't want to give too much away because it's just, it's a good time. Um, Highly recommend it. That's all I, all I got to say. Uh, Zach, what are we watching next week? Next week, we'll be watching Apocalypse Now, which is a 1979 movie directed by Francis Ford. I'm going to say Coppola, because that's how I've generally heard it, even though it's... Yeah. Francis Ford Coppola. Um, how, however you want to say it. One of his... And I'm, I'm going to say it, and you can hate me for it. One of his good ones. He hasn't made many films, period. So it's hard to say whether he made many good or bad ones. That's true. Um, one yeah, of it, this one is... of his good ones that isn't The Godfather or The Godfather Part Two. Yeah, this is another one of those that I've been meaning to watch for a while. So I'm, I'm stoked. Uh, this sounds good. Well, I'll see you next week then. Mm-hmm.